Welcome to Inside Out. Without prejudice or boundaries, this space is for raw and vulnerable conversations surrounding health, mental well-being, relationships, parenthood, and so much more. Our goal is to deliver a conversation that will educate and empower you through shared experiences told by inspiring and relatable guests. My name is Chris. I'm a wife, mum, and stepmom who is on a personal journey that cultivates a life of alignment and intention. I hope these conversations encourage you to do the same. Let's dive deep into today's episode. Hello, welcome back to Inside Out. Hope everyone has had a fabulous week. So recently I caught up with Stephanie Bull. Stephanie is a baby sleep consultant and daycare operator who uses her first-hand experiences to support parents with baby and toddler sleep issues. In today's episode, we talk about how babies learn to sleep, what happens in the brain while we sleep, uh, daycare napping, self-settling, managing multiple children and stress and anxiety for babies and toddlers. There is loads to take away from this episode. So mamas, I hope that you enjoy it. The episode is brought to you by Fast Fuel. Fast Fuel are your premium pre-packaged meal company supplying you with fresh, never frozen, wholesome, nutrient-dense, ready-made meals. Fast Fuel meals are free from chemicals and added sugar. They're low in sodium and high in nutritional value. Designed by a dietitian and prepared by experienced and reputable chefs, Fast Fuel are your go-to company on the East Coast for quality pre-made meals. As a busy mama of four with two businesses and a podcast as my side hustle, it's safe to say that I do not have time to prepare clean, healthy meals for the week, but I do know to be the best version of me, I need to fuel my body with the best. From as little as $8.95 per meal, it's safe to say that choosing Fast Fuel is a no-brainer for me. Fast Fuel would love to offer Inside Out listeners 30% off your first order. Simply type CHRIS30 on checkout. These meals are a serious game changer and I know you're going to love them. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please make sure that you share with a mama that you know to give them more support in their motherhood journey. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. I am wrapped to have you on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Oh, that's so good to hear. So we're going to dive into all things baby and toddler sleep and all the associations with that. It's a conversation that I'm having in my house right now, as you know, because of the lack of sleep that we're getting. I've started the transition. I've got Lola, who's eight months, and Jessie, who's two. And I've started the transition with Lola into her own room. And of course, I've got Jessie, who's regression after regression. <laughs> and We've had some issues there. But before we dive into that, I would love to know a little bit on you. Where are you from? Tell me a bit about your family life. So I am originally uh, born and raised in Canada, um, and I have been living in Australia for about eight years. Um, I moved here for, um, who is now my husband and father of my children. Um, And prior to that, I was um, living in the Middle East. And uh, yeah, it ended up down under and haven't looked back. And I absolutely love uh, living. I live in Perth, and I, I just love the place. It's gorgeous. Yeah, that's awesome. And what were you doing over in the Middle East? So I um, originally was a primary school teacher, um, and so I was teaching at a private inter- international school in Dubai. Wow. That's a huge shift from being over there to then coming over here. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a huge shift to go from Canada to Australia um, because the two cultures are very similar. Um, I actually find myself still eight years later shocked at how similar it is. Like, I would think I'm just walking down the next street over from my parents' home. Wow. Um but yeah, it was definitely a, a shift when I moved here from Dubai. But so yeah, love it. So your primary school education? Uh, yeah, primary. And I also have my early ch- 
early childhood as well. Yes, amazing. And so when did the transition happen from that being your work to now, you know, being a sleep consultant and knowing all things baby sleep? Yeah. So there was a little, there was a step in between being a primary school teacher and um, a, a sleep consultant. And that transition was um, when I had my first daughter, I decided I did not want to go back to the classroom, but I still wanted to work in the space of education. So I decided to take the leap and open a family daycare. So that's what I did. And that's in the space I'm sitting now. Um, And I found myself caring for four babies or toddlers every single day. So um, it was very busy. It was very full on, but it was a lot of fun. And wow, did I ever learn a lot because children are the best source of information we have when it comes to learning about sleep. Um, And I would say I have read so many books and I've taken lots of courses, but I have learned more about baby and toddler sleep from the children that I have cared for than anyone. So what age group did you have children? Was it six months to 12 months or? So the earliest child I've I've ever cared for was eight months old. Um, And then the oldest um, was probably about three, three and a half. Yeah. So how did their sleep impact learning? Oh, look, when a child does not get the, a, a good sleep overnight or, or if they miss a nap or if the nap happens too late, the, their learning is impaired because their, their attention span is shortened. And then when a child gets overtired, the cortisol is released into their brain and then they start just to go wild. And then they, they just do not, they cannot focus and concentrate. Um, everything just becomes a bit of a, a struggle. And so for a child, let's say, who's anywhere, whether they're like learning to crawl or in a, in a kindy classroom or pre-kindy or year one, if they do not get the, the sleep that they need, that their bodies need, um, their attention spans are really um, impacted in, negative, in a negative way, sadly, because um, they're not able to focus and, and, and learn those skills to, to develop further in life. Um, and so when that happens day after day after day, it can really be impactful for, for little ones. Um, and that's why getting on top of a, a baby's sleep is such an important thing. Um, and that's, a, that's why I think people understand it more now. And that's why you see such an influx of sleep consultants out there trying to help parents to understand that sleep is there's such a great need for sleep because it doesn't just impact that night, but it impacts the day and and so forth. Mm, It's interesting because as you know, um, we've been chatting a little bit about what's going on with my two children at the moment. And I think the biggest learning curve for me as a mom was this whole sleep thing and the sleep deprivation that comes with it. Like I would have five newborns happily. I had more sleep when I had a newborn, let alone, you know, now and things are just a little bit, I can't even explain it. It's just mental. It's it's wild what you go through as a mum with these sleep changes every single night. And if you don't get it right during the day, then there's sleep debt the next day or sleep debt in the nighttime. And then they get that hit of adrenaline and off they go. They're, you know, it's, it's really hard to keep tabs on and keep some form of control over. And as you know, I've got two stepdaughters as well. So there's four kids and my husband and I have been tag teaming every second night sort of thing with laying down next to the cot with Jesse, who's two and, and Lola, the transition to her cot, which is just a, another level. But how originally can you tell me how babies learn to sleep and how this then goes through the rest of their lives? Like how do they relate to sleep later in life and how the foundations that sort of starts with, you know? 
Okay, so that is a fantastic question. And this was something that I was so fascinated with because when I opened my family daycare and I was like, okay, if I'm ever going to sit down in my day, because I've got four babies with me for nine to 10 hours per day, I'm going to have to master sleep. And so I went back to really, I've always been, as a teacher, I've always been interested in how kids learn. So I went back to like basic brain development of when a child is born. And, and I've been astounded by some of the information that I've learned. And I'm very, very fortunate that a mother in my mother's group is, is a neurosurgeon. So her and I often have conversations and she has really helped me understand how the brain functions. But this is what I can tell you. So the brain is the only organ that is not fully developed at birth. And that organ is essentially built over time. When a baby is born, their brain is 25% of uh, the size of an adult human brain. By the time that baby is one, it's 50%. By the time they're three, it's 80%. And by the time they're five, it's 90% of an adult human brain. So you can say that like a baby's brain is very, very impressionable. And that is why they learn so quickly. Um, so I'm going to go back to it. So if a baby is, let's say, rocked to sleep or fed to sleep, um, their understanding of how their sleep happens is based on the experience of how they're falling asleep. So yeah, if baby is feeding Lola to sleep now at eight months. So I'm still breastfeeding her only to go to sleep. Yeah. In the morning. And it's just because it just puts it down so easily. Yeah, exactly. But in her mind, the pathways and the bridges that have been built are in her understanding of sleep is to fall asleep feeding. So, and for some babies that is to fall asleep rocking or bouncing um, and going back to how the brain learns. So babies learn through their experiences and their interactions that they have with their caregivers. So their parents or a nanny or grandparents, family um, and the environment around them. And that's how they, that's how they learn. But what happens when they sleep is the neurons in the brain create these bridges and pathways. And they think about what happened in their day, AKA how they fell asleep. They fell asleep feeding. Then the bridges and pathways that are built in the brain are, Oh, I fall asleep feeding. That's how my sleep happens. Um, and that is, is, is why a lot of children then when they're, like sleep trained or showed a new method struggle with that because the parents are then trying to to undo what they've taught the child um and teach them something different so um that's that's essentially how a child child learns and throughout time the brain just as the child gets older the brain just develops and develops and the more pathways and bridges are, are built in that child's brain yeah, that's really interesting stuff. It's definitely intriguing to me because of the season that I'm in. So I'm loving that I get the opportunity to have this chat with you. So what actually happens in the human brain when we're sleeping? What do you know about that? So so what happens is um, think of a connect the dot puzzle. Okay. So a connect the dot puzzle at the beginning is not connected, right? That is essentially what a human brain looks like when they're born through the experiences that a baby has, um, when they sleep, they have something called synapsis and it's the, the dots in the baby's brain, the neurons connect to one another. And it's based, those connections are based on their experiences. And so when they sleep, babies consolidate the information that they have learned through their day 
and it's that information is consolidated in their brain. Wow. Big, powerful facts there. <laughs> it is. It is. It is such an in-depth conversation. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one to have, but an important one for parents to understand that, um, that they truly are their parents. They truly are their, their child's teacher. Yes, a hundred percent. And how do you go with having uh, four children in a daycare center, like all different ages, I assume, you know, and all at different stages with their napping and things like, how does that work? Because I'm finding with my two, they're at different ages and occasionally I can get them both down at the same time for the midday sleep. But other than that, there's no, no routine there. And it makes it really difficult because you want your baby to sleep at the same time so you can get things done. How do you go in the daycare with that? Absolutely. Well, for, for the majority of the time, I, I always had children that were within about three months of each other. So I was able to get them to, to sleep generally all around the same time. There might've been a 10 or 15 minute um, difference there, but for the most part, they were always sleeping at the same time. When it comes to dealing with children of all different ages, though, parents just need to learn to be, to be flexible and very planned and prepared and truly understand what it is, what is the sleep need of that child. And for older children, sometimes that sleep need is, is not even so much a sleep, but it's just a rest on the couch or just a bit of downtime in front of the TV. So they can just, their bodies can go into a different state of alertness and they can just relax um, to get them through the end of the, the rest of the day. And that's more for, for a child who's dropped their afternoon nap. But for those who are, uh, who are, or who like yourself or myself, when you, when you've got lots of different children is you just, one, you need to relax because parents, sorry, not parents, children pick up on our emotions. So if we're stressed about a child sleeping or, or not sleeping, they will pick up on that. So just be calm and be organized and, and, and look at your day and go, okay, this is what needs to happen. These are the best times to get this done. Um, and I always recommend get your kids out of the house, even if it if it is if it is it takes an hour to get them packed up, get them out of the house because everyone feels so much better when you get them out of the house. And the best time to do that is actually is is pretty much first thing in the morning because the sun um, beams down on us and it creates ser- serotonin in our brains, which is then um, released into to what's called melatonin uh, when it gets dark. And that melatonin helps with the onset of sleep. Yes. Um, and that will do every child, even adults, a world of good just to be exposed to that natural sunlight. Mm, and I want to pick your brain on the whole self-settling thing at the moment, because we, as you know, done some work and um, we had a sleep consultant earlier on last year for Jesse. He was about 14 months, I think. Um, and I was heavily pregnant with Lola. We were co-sleeping and we were like, we're going to have a newborn in this bed soon. We've got to get him out of this bed into the cot. So we did that and it was a long winded couple of weeks of this um, space soothing method where it was the timer on the three minutes, three minutes, five and eight, I think. And he took to it really quickly. Like I just had to remain consistent and disciplined and stick at it. He took it to it really well. Um, but he was 14 months old. He was then putting himself self-settling to bed every night for the last 
six or so months. And then we started uh, just before Christmas, we bought a cabin about 40 minutes north of where we live. And we started every second weekend, we get our girls back for the weekend and we go to the cabin for a couple of nights and there's no dark room with white noise and blocked out blinds. And, you know, all these environmental factors are completely different. And he's having that four times a month, four nights at that cabin a month. Plus then Christmas came, we were away and things like that. So this, I feel like he was due for a two-year regression, but he's two years old now and we have been battling this child to sleep, to teaching him to self-settle since Christmas. And we now have to lay next to the cot until he falls to sleep. If my husband does it, he falls asleep in 15, 20 minutes. If I do it, it's an hour, hour and a half. I don't know why he needs to protest harder for me. (laughs) But like with self-settling, like what would you encourage us to be doing or be recommending now? Because he's that little bit older and I feel like I've tried the space soothing and he screams for an hour until or until he vomits, one of the two. Yeah, that's a good question. And in, 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 in when you were just talking there, you really answered part of your question was you just need to be consistent and being consistent is, is the most important thing. When it comes to children who are generally over 18 months to two years, um, children have a greater sense of reasoning and they have a greater sense of trust. And the biggest thing that I um, speak to my clients about is that you need to, your, you need to gain your child's trust that you are going to be there. Um, and that you're just, if they need you throughout the night, that you are going to be there. You're not going to aid them to sleep because that is essentially their, their, their skill that they need to master. Cause it's in the title, self-settling. It's not mummy settling, it's self-settling, but they need to trust you that you're going to be there. So whether that, whether you use a space soothing method or, or you're sitting in the room and you're just physically there for the child, um, once they, they have built that trust that they know you're there and that you're going to be there if they, if, and when they absolutely need you. And we're not talking when they're just like, put me to sleep, put me to sleep, but when they actually need you um, and you build that trust, that's when you can start implementing, moving out of the door, coming back um, and stuff like that. But I do find with the older, older children that, that building that trust is, is, is the biggest one. And it's not uncommon for um, little ones to fight less for their dads than they are with their moms. I don't know what the reasoning behind it is, but <laughs> I think so they see that maternal mummy and they just want more love and attention. And generally, oftentimes, moms can be the softer one of the yeah, two. Yeah, he knows that I'm a pushover and he knows yeah. I'm a cuddle. So, like, he's just got to cry loud enough and I'm there, whereas he just knows dad's just a no-go zone. He's like, nah, yeah, not pushing And me. that's, and oftentimes people are like, oh, can I pick up my child and can I cuddle them? And you're like, oh, it's a hard one because so when in the middle of like trying to implement a new sleep routine, if you are not consistent and you let them cry for a half hour, but then you cuddle them and then you cuddle them to sleep, they're just going to understand that as their new method of falling asleep. They're going to be like, I don't know why mom's making me cry for a half hour. And then I cuddle, then I get cuddled to sleep. So you just really need to, to make a game plan and sit down with your partner and go, this is what it's going to look like. And just be consistent and consistent and consistent. So, and not all approaches are equal. Like some, like there's, there's definitely, there's two approaches in the world of baby sleep. There's the extinction method, or there is like a gradual method and they both have their pros and they both have their cons. Um, But generally the extinction method works a lot quicker 
um, and 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 it instills a lot. Um, I, I don't want to say better sleep habits, but but the the sleep habits that are instilled seem to be a lot stronger because the association is a lot stronger where if it's a gradual method, there can be a little bit of confusion there on from the child's part of how much mom and dad are going to be involved. Um, and that's why, it, it, that's why, because it, being consistent is number one. And when it comes to gradual methods, it's harder to be consistent because they do actually take longer because it's a gradual method. Right. Um, so it can be, a, there is a bit of confusion there sometimes with bubs and in, in, in learning and what's acceptable and what's not and stuff like that. And catnapping, what can you t- share on that? Because that's something that Lola is, suffers, you know, through the day because we've got the two older girls as well, the four children. Um, for those that don't know and that are new listening, I have two stepdaughters. They are school age, so age nine and 10, and we have them week on and week off. So on the weeks that we have them, there's this stimulation in the house that isn't necessarily there the week that they're not here. Um, and there's the school pickup and putting Lola in the car, getting her out of the car. In, and the cars, you know, as for a lot of babies, that's where they do fall asleep. They like being in the car. And so she'll fall asleep and then she'll only get 10 minutes because we get her back out of the car and the transition fails because of the noise of three other children. And mm. it's chaotic. And it's like, oh, she's just lost that sleep now and I'm not going to get her back down until, you know, whatever time. How can we make changes there? Like, what would you encourage? Yeah, so that's 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 a really interesting one. And I, I'm not, like, I would never advocate to say have every sleep in the car. But it, it, if it means that if a child, because of school pickup, and you have to do school pickup, you can't just leave your child at school, you have to go. Yeah. So your child has to have a nap in the car because that's what is the best thing for your family. Well, let them have that nap in the car. And if it means that, you know, you, you have the car in the shade, cause you know, the car can't be hot. Um, let them have that nap in the car. Or the other big thing that I'm massive fan of is actually just transfer them and transfer them and transfer them and put them down in the cot and let them learn to self-settle, um, from going from the car into their cot. Cause that was one thing that I was a massive, um, big fan of doing for both my girls is that if they did fall asleep in the car, I just put them in their cot and then after about oh, five or 10 goes, they got that, oh, suddenly I'm in the car, but now I'm in the car and I just continue to sleep. Um, so yeah, try it because it, in time they will learn that they just need to continue their nap. And then with your other older stepdaughters, you just in, in your younger daughter as well, you just need to say, all right, everyone needs to be quiet right now and put on a timer and say, the little one's going to be up in 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And in that time we can Make yeah, lots of noise. the white noise but. has been a massive blessing for us because it just makes <laughs> up those girls um, because they're so loud. And now Jesse's at an age where, like, he knows this is a home, so he is loud to get to them. He wants them so badly. And, you know, you can send everyone to their rooms, but that kid just wants his sisters and to play with them. So, yeah, the white noise is definitely a blessing and something that I strongly encourage every single pregnant woman I've ever met to make sure yeah. your white noise machine because it is absolutely the bee's knees. Cause, and it's very soothing that noise too, because it mimics the sound that an infant, um, a newborn experienced while in the womb. Yes, absolutely. And I think too, something um, that a lot of people are initially shocked about and something I learned 
earlier on last year is to have it as loud as a running shower next to the cot. And because when you walk into my home and it's super duper loud, people are like, whoa, like, doesn't that keep the baby awake? And I'm like, no, it blocks out all the other noise because in the womb, it's like 90, I think it's 90 decibels or something. It's in the womb. Yeah. Yeah. So to have it out outside of the womb and it to be that noisy that they want that they don't like silence. No, they're not used to silence because let's face it. The womb is not a very quiet place. Like you're, when you're pregnant, your baby goes wherever you go. So if you're like in an office or teaching a classroom or at the shops, your baby hears all that sounds. So to then suddenly be sleeping in this quiet environment, is not normal for them. So, and the white noise is so great in the sense that once the child is sleeping really well, you can just slowly start to turn the sound down um, and then take that, that uh, association away. Amazing. Yeah, it's a good thing to have. (laughs) (laughs) So the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is stress and anxiety for toddlers, because I know that that's something that you're passionate about sharing. Yeah, yeah. Experiences there and how how we as parents can pick up on that, that our our toddlers are suffering with anxiety. Yeah, so, so just, so going back to like how the brain develops, there's various different types of stress and when it comes to the topic of self-settling, the one thing that I that I often speak to parents about, and they're like, oh, I don't want my baby to cry. I don't want my baby to cry. And I'm like, no one wants their baby to cry. No one wants to listen to their baby cry because let's face it, it's not a pleasant sound. However, in life, there's healthy different types of stress that, that children need to learn. And that's like starting school, going to daycare, being away from mom and dad, having a test or, or learning new skills. Um, those are healthy types of stress and, and learning to sleep is a part of, is, is a part of that because it's an important, it's an important life skill that will be with them throughout their entire life. Um, and so then when it comes to, um, the other type of stress, that's not very good for children is, is what's called toxic stress. And a lot of parents mis misinform that or misinform that talks, they think toxic stress is is leaving a baby to, to, to cry or do a space soothing method. And it's not because your child's safe. They know where they are. They're fed, they're clothed, they're warm, or they're, you know, they're the right temperature when falling asleep. And so they know where they are. And if they are complaining, they're generally just complaining because they're learning um, a new method to fall asleep. So they're angry at you. And yes, they are, they are not happy, but they're not experiencing what's called toxic stress that, um, when an infant is, is exposed to a lot of toxic stress, um, that that really ha- like impacts their, their brain development. And toxic stress is, so when a child's ex- exposed to toxic stress, we're talking about they don't have a caring parent. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They don't know next time they're going to have any attention. Their parents ge- generally have some form of addiction. Um, and so the child has no one to really rely on. So they're constantly in a state of, of, of stress really. And their bodies like get used to that. And that's toxic stress that an infant can, or a toddler can experience that that really has a negative impact on health. But going back to your other question of what to look for, um, if you think your child's stressed and anxiety, watch their body language, watch to see what, what they're doing. And the one, the best thing that a parent can do is to really be loving, caring, patient, and positive and encourage their little one to go out in the world 
And, and, you know, if they, if they're nervous about climbing up the stairs at, at a park, it's like, okay, go, I'm right here, but guide them up, but don't guide them up and know that they're there but, and encourage them after a while to do it on their own. Um, and so you're encouraging them to go, but they always know you're there. Yes. Wow. That's, there's so much in this that I've just taken and it's just all sort of like being processed in my brain right now because there's so much here. And I feel like I could talk to you for the next month about this topic because it's so big and there's so, so many takeaways, like what, you know, with your own children, how, how have your sleep patterns gone with them? Like, how has that worked? And has that, have you had struggles or did you go through a period where you're completely sleep deprived? Um, look, I, I consider myself extremely fortunate. Um, in my days as a teacher, I, when I taught in the Middle East, I taught in a classroom of 20 kids who didn't speak English when I got them at the beginning of the year. So I was picking up on their body language and they were all young, right? They were all four or five. Um, and so I had to pick up on their body language. So learned a lot about kids then, then moved to Australia, started teaching children with special needs, um, who all had very limited communication skills or, um, or none for, for some of them. That's very similar to babies, right? Because when a baby is born, you rely more on their body language. Mm -hmm. So I had had about five to eight years of experience of dealing with children who had limited communication skills. So I didn't actually realize until about the day after I gave birth and sitting there in the hospital and my little one was crying and, and and my husband asked me a question. I said, just look at her hands. Look at her, like, look what she's doing with her hands. She's all tense. She needs this or, or she's relaxed. And my husband was like, how do you know all this? And I said, no, I was like, oh, well, I suppose I've just been following children's body language for the last number of years. So I hate to, to say this to people, but I've never really experienced more than a couple of days of sleep deprivation. And it's generally been because we've been traveling. And I don't think you shouldn't hate to say that to people. Like, I think that's awesome that you have, have that because you've done the work and you've done, got the research under your belt. You know what I mean? So you should be mm. say that. You shouldn't have no shame saying that. because of Yeah. That. Well, also because, you know, because of the family daycare, I had four kids in my care. Um, when we brought her home our second one, my husband's like, whoa, what's going to go on here? I'm like, relax. We've only got two kids. I'm used to four. <laughs> um, and in my, my husband had never in the first year of my second daughter's life had never actually been up in the middle of the night with her because I knew from day dot what, what to do. And I hate saying that. And I know you say, I shouldn't hate saying that, but no, I consider myself very fortunate because of the, because I've learned from the best in the business. I have learned from the children themselves and they have taught me so much about their needs, whether it comes to sleep or or learning and all, all that in between. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. And um, just on, you know, that other women don't have that same opportunity. Well, that's something that that's a message I'm trying to bring awareness to, because I want women to know when you are pregnant, one of the most important things that you can do is find a sleep consultant, find a program, find something that you plan to introduce to your baby's sleep patterns and you don't have to do it straight away but just have it or buy instead of you know these baby showers where these gifts are are lavish beautiful clothes and onesies that I think you saw on my Instagram this week that I posted something about receiving beautiful onesie that might have been 70 80 dollars and it's like it's you know five naught and my son didn't even fit five naught and we bought him all sizes and he was too bloody big but like it's in my mind now having two children and in my experience it is it's a bit of a waste and we need to be thinking proactively more so what we need in that postpartum season of our lives and the desperation that we feel as mothers, a lot of women feel 
the sleep deprivation and we need some tools and resources to lean on in yeah. that period of time so that we can learn too because when not everyone's going to go into the education of sleep but I think it's really important because most I shouldn't say most because a lot of women don't want children but the women that do want children they need to know this information and yeah we just need to encourage it more and it needs to be yeah forefront of conversations in mothers groups in you know pregnancy chat rooms whatever the case we just need to talk about the sleep situation a little bit more absolutely and it's it, it's a topic that is not spoken about enough and i think there's a lot of in mothers groups especially there's a lot of shame that people are like oh i was up during the night how many times and and everyone if they meet like once a week as a mother's group or even just your friends the moms are only ever going to talk about their best night's sleep. They're never going to talk about the worst night's sleep. Mm. They always say, oh, yeah, so-and-so slept for five or six hours. Woo, I had a great night. But no one goes, heck, that was hard. Like, my little one was up um, five times throughout the night. Why is that? Like, And um, I think it's a conversation that that needs to be had with a lot of people. And, and as you said, like, take the money that you were going to buy that cute little onesie and, and, and it doesn't like work with a sleep consultant or buy a book, work with a, with a, a doula, work with someone who's really going to help that mother adapt to having that newborn in the house. Mm. Oh gosh. I love everything that you've said here. Looking at the screen here. I love that your nursery is very plain. And the reason I'm going to tell you this is because so many parents like design beautiful nurseries and we're talking multiple paint colors and pictures and outfits hanging on the wall but they're sometimes they can be often far too stimulating for babies yeah and I, I say one plain color and one two pictures on the wall and that is it because yeah. if you think about your room you want your room to be like tranquil right and you have to sleep in a tranquil space so does your baby so Focus on, focus on the playroom. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's awesome. Actually, that's a big thing that the environmental factors are huge. And it's been a big thing for Jesse. I know that when we first started on our sleep journey with him, um, I had all heaps of crap in his room. There were colors, there were books, there was this, there was that. And then I was told to remove it. So we did. And there is nothing in his room that he can be stimulated by. Um, the occasional, you know, day when he goes for a day sleep and like, he'll be overstimulated and I'll go in. I'm like, you brought a toy in here. It's next to your cotton. You're calling for the toy. Like you knew that this is how you could get something in here without me knowing sort of things so yeah no I totally agree with that and it's definitely what I've done obviously as you can see in Lola's bedroom because we just transitioned her a week ago and there is nothing in here for her awesome yeah. perfect place to sleep yes absolutely thank you so so much for your time Stephanie I will put no details the website everything in the show notes um for anyone that wants to connect with you though on Instagram how do they find you uh so my handle is the dot baby dot sleep dot teacher so the baby sleep teacher with dots in between or you can you can dm me on there or um, my email address is help at the baby sleep teacher.com and my website is www.thebabysleepteacher.com.au amazing thank you so much for your time today no thank you
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.